Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Wednesday, December 20th, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. Heating up the news alongside Riverside's mild weather of 66.4 degrees high and a low of 58.7 for this December 20th, we've got a docket of impactful stories to cover. Firstly, a seismic decision shudders from the Colorado Supreme Court. Former President Trump has been disqualified from the state's ballot, citing the insurrection clause. With Trump's team poised on the brink of an appeal, we'll analyze implications that may reach the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll also delve into a domestic migration that's reshaping the nation. Millions of Americans are relocating from areas besieged by floods. Their exodus is carving out so-called climate abandonment zones. We'll look into what this means for the regions left behind and the infrastructure to support these shifts. And in healthcare news, Prismare's precision medicine test is emerging as a ray of hope for rheumatoid arthritis sufferers. While promising, hurdles impeding widespread adoption linger. Stay tuned as we discuss the future of personalized treatment for this debilitating condition. All these stories and more are lined up, so stay with us for an informative morning here at Alex's News. The Colorado Supreme Court has made a significant ruling that has sent shockwaves through the political landscape. With us to discuss the details is our correspondent, Ethan. Ethan, can you tell us more about this groundbreaking decision? Absolutely, Grace. The Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that former President Donald Trump is ineligible for the presidency under the U.S. Constitution's Insurrection Clause. This is in relation to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment which prohibits anyone who has engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States from holding any future office. That's quite something. Now, this clause has been around for a long time, right? But it's not been used like this before? That's correct. It is a significant legal move because this is the first instance that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has been used to disqualify a presidential candidate. Until now, it's been a relatively dormant clause, primarily used in the context of the post-Civil War era. And what led to the Supreme Court of Colorado making this decision? Grace, the ruling was the result of a lawsuit brought forward by six Colorado Republican and unaffiliated voters. Their argument, which the court found persuasive, was centered on Trump's incitement during the January 6 Capitol attack. They claimed this action qualified as an act of insurrection. So, does this mean Trump is immediately off the Colorado primary ballot for the 2024 election? For the time being, yes. The court stated that it would be wrongful for the Colorado Secretary of State to list Trump as a candidate. However, Trump's attorneys have signaled their intent to appeal this decision, which means that the case could eventually end up before the U.S. Supreme Court. Currently, the decision is on hold until January 4, or until the U.S. Supreme Court rules on it. Now, this must have implications beyond just Colorado, right? What could this mean for Trump's national presidential campaign? If other states were to follow Colorado's lead, that could pose a serious hurdle to Trump's candidacy. This Colorado case sets a precedent that other states might consider invoking. Additionally, how the U.S. Supreme Court approaches this issue could have national consequences regarding who is eligible to run for the presidency. It also prompts discussions about the scope and interpretation of the insurrection clause itself. Ethan, give us a sense of the legal and political arguments on both sides regarding this insurrection clause and Trump. 
proponents of the ruling argue that Trump's actions on January 6 were a clear incitement of insurrection and thus disqualify him from holding office under the 14th Amendment. On the flip side, Trump's legal team contends that he did not commit insurrection. They also argue that there's a lack of precedent for courts disqualifying presidential candidates based on this clause. I imagine reactions to this news have been quite strong. How has the nation been responding? There's been a significant response to the story, Grace. The Associated Press and PBS NewsHour have reported on the development, discussing the various perspectives and potential implications of the ruling. It's become a national conversation because it goes right to the heart of presidential eligibility and, effectively, the democratic process. Certainly a lot for us to stay tuned to. Thank you, Ethan, for that comprehensive breakdown. My pleasure, Grace. Coming up next, we have another major story. Stay with us. Turning to environmental news now, a pressing issue is emerging in California and beyond. We're seeing a significant rise in flood risks due to climate change, with heavier storms becoming more frequent. To give us a closer look into this situation, we're joined by reporter Chloe, who's been keeping a close eye on this developing story. Chloe, can you walk us through what's happening? Absolutely, Grace. The nonprofit First Street Foundation has released a study showing that Americans are increasingly moving away from areas with high flood risks. This trend is likely to escalate in the upcoming decades. We're seeing what's being referred to as climate abandonment areas, places where populations are dwindling because the flood risk is just becoming too great to manage. This must be having a large impact on certain states, right? Definitely. States like Texas, California, Florida, and Louisiana are on the front lines, feeling the weight of these changes the most. The threat isn't just theoretical, it's causing real shifts in where people choose to live. With risks ramping up, what kind of strategies are being put in place to address the flooding? Well, there's a toolbox of strategies that experts are suggesting. Among these are bolstering infrastructure to protect water utilities and employing nature-based solutions that harness natural systems for flood control. We're talking about things like improving flood insurance programs and community resilience efforts. These are collective plans that include community planning and using more accurate flood predictions for better preparedness. I imagine that the infrastructure improvements and community involvement must be key in tackling these issues effectively? Absolutely, Grace. It's not just about implementing green infrastructure or managing floodplains by preserving open spaces. There's also a focus on raising awareness about the risks and transitioning to clean energy sources to combat the root cause climate change. Plus, strong building codes, flood barriers, and floodproofing techniques are crucial in making communities more resilient. And I'm curious, Chloe, what are the potential implications for those areas where people are leaving? Does this signal a larger shift in where populations might settle in the future? That's certainly a possibility, Grace. We might see an economic and demographic shift where some regions struggle due to declining populations and tax bases, while others might grow as they become known as safer havens from climate impacts. There are also implications for housing markets, local economies, and even cultural shifts as communities could drastically change over time. It seems like a complex challenge that will need a variety of approaches. How are states coping with the need for transition while ensuring the protection of their communities? It's really about balance, Grace. States and communities are trying to implement a mix of structural and non-structural measures, aligning national and regional efforts, and ensuring that communities are deeply involved in the process. The success of these approaches hinges on how well they're executed, 
how they're coordinated, and their adaptability to local environments. It sounds like there's a lot at stake and much work to be done. Thank you so much for that comprehensive update, Chloe. My pleasure, Grace. It's crucial that we keep our finger on the pulse of this issue. We'll definitely continue to watch this story. Now, moving on to our next topic. Good morning, everyone. Here are some other headlines we have for you today. Today's most significant headlines reflect a blend of political, legal, and societal issues, alongside a notable sports update. We start with news on former President Donald Trump, who is under serious scrutiny as a judge criticizes his choice of expert witness and refuses to dismiss a fraud lawsuit against him. In a related development, liberal groups are now seeking to leverage the Constitution's insurrection clause with the goal of preventing Trump from appearing on the 2024 presidential ballot. Switching over to the political sphere, a congressman has been ordered to hand over hundreds of texts and emails to the FBI. This order is part of the ongoing investigation into the integrity of the 2020 election, signaling an increased focus on electoral processes. Over in the sports world, basketball fans have reason to celebrate as NBA star Ya Morant makes his much-anticipated return to the court, a significant moment for him and his team, the Memphis Grizzlies. In legal news, a court has decided to release over 150 names of individuals mentioned in the high-profile Jeffrey Epstein lawsuit documents. This action may have substantial implications for many influential figures. And on a more positive note, we have an uplifting story from international affairs. Hamas leader visits Cairo, signaling progress on a possible Gaza truce and a potential hostage swap. This is a hopeful sign of movement toward peace and the resolution of long-standing tensions, which could mean improved safety and stability for the people in the affected regions. That's a wrap on these headlines. Stay tuned for more news after this brief message. Now moving on to our third and final story today, there's some groundbreaking news in the realm of rheumatoid arthritis treatment. A recent article from NPR's Shots, Health News section has given us insight into a new precision medicine test that could be a game-changer for patients. We have our specialist correspondent Ethan with us to delve into the details. Ethan, what can you tell us about this new test? Thanks, Grace. The test we're talking about is called PRISM-RA, and it's making waves for its ability to potentially save patients time, money, and a great deal of pain. Those suffering from rheumatoid arthritis are often prescribed a class of drugs known as TNF inhibitors as their first line of treatment. Unfortunately, about 60% of patients don't respond well to these medications. What PRISM-RA does is use a predictive model incorporating clinical factors, blood tests, and gene patterns to identify these patients in advance, essentially helping doctors skip over ineffective treatments. That sounds promising, Ethan. So instead of going through a trial and error with medications, this test could pinpoint the right drug for each patient from the outset? Exactly, Grace. So, it's not just about effectiveness, it's also about speeding up the process of finding the right treatment. This test represents a major stride in the application of precision medicine for rheumatoid arthritis, which, unlike in cancer treatment, hasn't been as widely used. So what are the obstacles to getting this test into the hands of those who need it? Well, there are a few hurdles, the most significant being insurance coverage. Medicare has started reimbursing for the PRISM-RA test, but it's not clear-cut with other insurers yet. Also, there are concerns around drug company incentives. 
these companies might not be keen on a test that could potentially decrease the use of their TNF inhibitors. Considering those challenges, how do we see the future of this test, and what could be the implications for patients and healthcare providers? If this test gets the insurance coverage it needs and overcomes the resistance it might face from drug companies, the implications could be profound. Patients would receive much more personalized treatments, likely leading to better health outcomes and possibly lower healthcare costs in the long run. For healthcare providers, it could bring about a significant shift in treatment protocols for rheumatoid arthritis. Are there other factors at play here that might affect the adoption of the PRISM RA test? Yes, there's the scientific side of things. The PRISM RA is a blood based molecular signature response classifier, a fancy way of saying it analyzes an individual's molecular signature to predict their response to therapy. However, we need more concrete evidence demonstrating its clinical utility and cost effectiveness. It's not just about having a great test, it's about proving its value to both healthcare professionals and insurance providers. It sounds like while the PRISM RA test has the potential to revolutionize rheumatoid arthritis treatment, there's still a lot of work to be done. Ethan, thank you for such an in-depth analysis of this fascinating development. My pleasure, Grace. It's definitely a story to keep an eye on in the future. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.